I was your typical starving college student in my early 20s. Desperate to get by on my own while taking classes, I looked for every odd job I could find. I was going to a prestigious university studying computer science. Despite the high probability of a good paying job after school, I was scraping to get by and didn't want to lean on others to achieve this goal. Looking down at my resume on the computer screen, I lingered on the name scribed across the top in fine script, James Jim Shoemaker. Reflecting for a moment on what was essentially an advertisement for my labor, I clicked the submit button on multiple job applications. The job hunt was tough though. Making minimum wage wasn't enough to support my tuition, and I couldn't work so many hours that I couldn't make my classes or study. Fast food and other jobs were plentiful, but not ideal for my situation. I was in some competitive interviews with lots of candidates, so my success rate on getting reviews was low. Getting the job itself just wasn't happening. Trying to stay positive, I went to an announcement board on campus for employment opportunities. One advertisement stuck out. Other research projects in the school needed participants for blind studies. Select participants who meet certain criteria were eligible for high compensation and more in-depth projects. A feeling of, this is too good to be true, welled in my stomach, but I needed the money desperately. I ripped a tab from the advertisement that included a phone number. I called and spoke to a receptionist who booked me for an evaluation the following day. I'd be paid a flat rate for this initial, with the possible upside of a big payout for the more in-depth study. There didn't seem to be a downside to this. If the flat rate is all I got, then I haven't really lost anything, and it's back to job hunting. If I got into the big study, then that could set me up for at least a couple months' rent and tuition. The following day, I went to the campus building where they were doing the limited evaluations as a part of the experiment. I met the receptionist I spoke on the phone with the previous day, who led me to an examination room. There was a graduate student there, who was working a predefined script in marking results as I answered questions. Much of what was asked seemed boilerplate. Who I was, what I aspired to be, what I was studying. Then I was asked hypothetical questions about tragedies that could happen in my life and what I would do. We discussed the loss of a parent, friend, loved one, financial hardship up to and including bankruptcy. As uncomfortable as the questions were, I did find the experience insightful and gave my thoughts on each question. By the end, they thanked me and the front desk receptionist cut me a check. It was tough to complain about the pay for such a short period of time, but I needed to continue the job hunt regardless. While waiting in line to be interviewed for a paid internship a couple hours later, my phone buzzed in my pocket indicating I had a call. When I answered, the receptionist I met earlier in the day was on the line. Jim, I just wanted to thank you for participating in the experiment today, and we'd like to welcome you to join us for the more in-depth study, if you're willing, she said. I was ecstatic. This was a huge opportunity for me to get the cash I needed to continue my studies for the rest of the semester. I eagerly accepted and confirmed that I'd be available the next day to get the details in person from the experiment leads. Waking up the following morning, I peeked through my apartment window as the sun began cresting over the nearby hillside. The sky was dyed pink by the not-yet-realized rays of sunlight that would mark a beautiful day. I dressed and made my way from my apartment to the campus. 
It was a half mile walk to the testing facility, but I was so excited about this opportunity that I barely noticed. I was greeted again by the same receptionist, but this time instructed me to go to the furthest back room down the hall. The back room was more like a medical exam room, complete with an adjustable bed and all the medical gizmos I expected to see in a clinic. The doctor running the experiment was sitting with a white lab coat on a chair at the far end of the room. He motioned for me to sit in the patient chair before speaking. Good morning, Jim. My name is Dr. Lawrence. I've been reviewing your initial interview and we think you'd be a great addition to the more in-depth study, as I'm sure you know. I nodded in agreement. Well, I want you to know the participation is voluntary, but we will have a strict non-disclosure agreement for you to sign. I'll also need to give you a brief medical exam to make sure you're in good health, which I'm sure you are, he said. Uh, sure, I said. What exactly for, though? It seemed like a psych eval first, now medical? Dr. Lawrence waved his hand in the air, as if dismissing the concern. Purely out of an abundance of caution, there are all sorts of studies going on all over this campus, all of which introduce varying levels of stress on the participants. Our examination is simply to rule out that you have any obvious signs of medical issues. Basically, if I'm not about to send you to the ER right now, you're probably a fit for our study, rest assured, he explained. Oh, okay then, yeah, that's fine, I said, feeling a little more at ease having that explained. Before we do anything, the non-disclosure, I'll of course explain what you'll be doing in the study. If you're still okay with proceeding after that, we'll go through the medical exam, and I think... He trailed off, looking at the clock in the room. Yes, we'll have time to start today if you're available. It would mean compensation for the experiment today after we finished. Otherwise, we'd have to schedule something out for a later date, he said. Oh, I'm available, I replied. Where do you need me to sign? He grabbed a clipboard from a nearby table, which had a few pages with long, drawn-out legal jargon. It was a signature line with a date on the last page. I didn't think this was totally out of the ordinary, as most developments and experiments needed to keep the integrity of the study clean. Can't have students running around disclosing everything to other potential candidates. I signed the line without a further thought. Great. Okay, now let's have a look at your vitals, he said. He gave me a brief checkup, not so unlike other basic health evaluations I've had throughout my life. From the limited review, he concluded that I was in good health. Okay, Jim. Again, I want you to know that your participation is still voluntary, but what I'm about to tell you is confidential and would violate the terms of your NDA if you disclose it to anyone. Do you understand? He asked. I nodded to indicate that I did. Keeping this as high level as I can, we've discovered another world, a layer of existence in addition to our own. It's like a copy, if you will. It was first discovered a decade or so ago at a house in a Wisconsin suburb. The owner fled the property, probably confused and frightened by what they discovered. Entrances to this alternate world open and close naturally. We aren't sure exactly what causes it. By our current review of the data, it seems to be completely random, he explained. I stayed quiet, not sure I could believe what I was hearing. An alternate world or maybe dimension? This was unreal. 
We studied that particular entrance until it closed roughly a year later. From that data, we believe we've discovered a way to force an individual into what we are dubbing the still world. This is because of the seemingly unmoving gray environment. Nothing seems to stir there. There's no wind, no animals, no people, nothing. At least not that we've observed, he continued. The purpose of the study is to continue to survey the world from the confines of this facility. We have to give you an injection, he stated. My eyes widened at that last statement. That was not what I was expecting. Again, Dr. Lawrence raised a hand, but this time more seriously. It's not of anything dangerous. What we've found is that there's a layer of REM sleep that makes people more cognizant of the still world, allows you to perceive it in a way that your conscious mind is otherwise unable. It's really a mild sedative and will guide you through the process of accessing the still world from the safety of this facility. It will be a team of people monitoring your vitals the entire experiment. Now, having said that, are you still interested in continuing? He asked finally. I thought for a moment. As skeptical as I was, it did sound safe, especially if they had a medical team on standby. The school did have a good med school, so it made sense that they had access to those resources. Yes, yeah, I'm okay with it, I said. Fantastic. If you would follow me, please, he said, and gestured toward another door at the end of the room. Dr. Lawrence led me through another door to a much larger room. Compared to the exam room I was just in, this was far more sophisticated, with many more vital monitoring systems. I sat down on another patient bed like the one in the exam room. As if on cue, several other people in white lab coats also entered the room and began arranging equipment around me. The sudden arrival of these additional people, and how prepared they were for my arrival, was a little unnerving. I winced as an IV line was put into my arm. Dr. Lawrence approached the bed for some final instructions. When you start to go under, you'll get a clear view into the still world. All you need to do is open your eyes, turn around, and there will be a door. Go through it, and you'll return to us. Do you understand? He asked. I yes, I think so. I said. They added a drug to my IV line, and I almost immediately began to feel drowsy. My vision began to fade as some commotion caught my attention. Another lab worker had moved a bed into view, which had something covered by a thin white sheet. Dr. Lawrence seemed very upset at this worker, but what he said was lost on me. Drifting, losing consciousness. I felt like I was floating for a moment. I opened my eyes, but the image I saw was eerily familiar, but also not. My color palette had been exchanged for deep tones of gray. I was in the same room where I was hooked up to the IV, but now all the equipment was moved away. All of the lab technicians were gone, and the IV and other equipment were no longer attached to my body. I sat up with a sense of wonder as I took in this strange world. It felt like a dream, but not. Remembering the instructions from Dr. Lawrence, I stood from the patient bed and turned around, expecting to see the door he described, but there was nothing. Combing the room for any sign of a door anywhere, I began to realize that the only method of escaping the still world was absent. Turning to the entrance of this experiment room, I made the decision to press on. There really wasn't another option. I turned the door handle, which made a clicking noise that seemed to echo off all of the walls around me.
The still world was so quiet that any noise seemed to be amplified tenfold. As I pushed open the door, my vision was flooded with light from the outside windows of the building. Lighter, but still a pale palette of gray permeated the outside. I could see one of the main walkways of the campus from where I was standing, and there was no one out there. This was very unusual, particularly during the daytime, when people would be moving to and from their classrooms. Entering the reception area, I was again greeted by a scene completely vacant of people. The nice receptionist that I spoke with no longer in her chair. I walked behind the desk, looking over the various objects littered around the workspace. A phone, computer with nothing on the screen, a notepad that, when I looked closer at it, had my name marked down for the time I was scheduled to arrive. In the still world, everything from the normal world seemed to still be present kept up to date, at least to some degree. A noise from outside the building made me jump, everything being so quiet, it was unmistakable that something besides me was moving around the building. Instinctively, I ducked behind the desk. Looking through the gap between the desk and the floor, I waited for whatever was making the sound to reveal itself. The front door opened, and a very strange figure slinked through the gap. It had a pale gray tone to its skin, which was wrinkled at the joints of its legs. It moved on all fours and its eyes were a solid black color. It made a heavy breathing noise as it moved, maybe having trouble pulling air through the small slits it had as a nose. It stopped in the main foyer and seemed to look around. A scream outside seemed to draw its attention though. It turned and went back out the door to the outside. As the door closed automatically, I came out from the desk. To my right, a staircase led upstairs. As quietly as possible, I moved up the stairs to the upper level. The second story of the building was composed mostly of small desks and offices, a sort of administrative section of this campus building. On the far side of the room, the wall was composed mostly of windows, which looked down onto the courtyard below. Taking a low profile, I crept forward to the glass to get a look down to the ground. To my horror, the gray monster I came across was not alone. At least a dozen of them were running to and from different buildings accessible from the courtyard. Their movements weren't random either. They seemed to be hunting for victims. The screaming noise also appeared to be a woman who had been seized by the hair by one of the creatures. They were being dragged across the courtyard to an alley out of sight. A few more of the creatures followed along, seeming to join in on the capture. A tug on my arm made me jump suddenly. I turned and came face to face with a hooded woman, finger pressed to her lips to hint that I should stay silent. She guided me away from the desks to a back room. The windows in this place had been covered with papers and boxes. A makeshift cot and several camping items had been set up in the far corner. A small lantern provided the only light source, providing a dim, fluorescent glow in the small room. She had clearly been living here. She removed her hood and turned to me. Who are you? How did you get in here? She asked forcefully. I... My name is Jim. I don't know what the heck is going on. I was in this experiment. I was supposed to be able to get back, I said. The shock of being trapped here and running into this stranger making my thoughts a complete jumble. She turned in frustration at the word experiment, walked toward the corner near the bed. You know what I'm talking about. I asserted. I'm not the first person to come through here, am I? No, you're not, 
she replied. Lawrence, right? Doubt that's even his real name. I assume he told you there would be a door right behind you. The realization of being stupid, totally played, started to creep in. Why did I volunteer for this? Part of me was hoping that this was just a bad dream, that any moment I'd wake up in my bed, and all of this was just my imagination. Yes, but there was nothing. I walked out of the room and one of those things was there. What is that? I said. Those things? They're the hunters. You have no idea what you've stepped into here. We still don't have a great idea. Rumors circulate amongst the other survivors. But we never know what is true and what isn't. There are more levels to this place than what you see. Caves that lead further underground, she explained. I stayed quiet, nodding that I was listening, taking this news in. Some people are brave enough to go down, explore. I've heard they found doors, but couldn't open them. When they go even deeper looking for an exit, I never see them again, she said. It's worth trying though, isn't it? Rather than just staying here to hide, I asked. She smirked at me, I suppose because I just got here and was thinking I knew what I was doing. Think you know how to get past those things, huh? She said sarcastically. Know where the cave is and what's down there? She almost laughed as she said this, calling out my ignorance and bravado about trying to find the exit. I... no, I don't. I just don't know what else to do about it. This doesn't seem like a place we can stay. The hunters will find us eventually. One came in here just from me opening a door downstairs. If there is a chance there is an exit in the caves, then I'm going for it, I said. She stood for a moment, considering what I said, maybe sizing me up whether or not I meant it when I said I would go. She brushed past me, motioning for me to return to the administration room. She crept carefully up to the window and pointed to a building on the other side of the courtyard. There she said. It's in the basement of that building. You'll need to take the alleyways between the buildings to avoid the hunters. Going through the courtyard directly is going to get you caught. She looked at me, and then turned and crept away again into the room where we had been talking, and closed the door. I guess I was on my own then. Not wanting to waste any more time, I moved downstairs again as quietly as possible. Pulling open the front door, I peeked out into the courtyard. No sign of any hunters. I opened the door a little more and one of them rushed by the doorway. I backed away around the door. You're never gonna make it, the whispering voice behind me said. I turned to see the woman from upstairs, crouched down next to me. There's a different exit through the experiment rooms. I'll show you. My name is Maggie, by the way. I'll take you as far as I know, but then you're on your own, she said. Okay, Maggie, lead the way, I said happy to have any sort of guide to get past the monsters. She moved through the rear of the building swiftly, as if she knew every corner of it by heart, through one of the exam rooms and then to an alternate exit around the side. It led to an alleyway between two of the campus buildings. We took cover behind some trash and recycling bins on the side to check for any hunters looking in the area. With no apparent sign of them, we moved on around the rear of the various buildings circling the courtyard. Thankfully, there was a thick, wooded area behind this section of the campus with a wall separating the grounds from the wilderness. We didn't need to worry too much about anything coming up from there. We made our way to the building she had indicated, 
and we took another side entrance into a lecture hall that doubled as a small theater. She led me behind the curtain to a trap door that led down to the lower levels of the facility. As we moved down the stairs, a red light shone in this basement area. The shock of color pierced the gray palette, causing a striking sight. The cement floor had been carved open, revealing a large crack that led deeper into the earth. The hole itself looked like a cave, and the path down was rocky. You sure you want to do this? Maggie asked me. Do I have any other way out of here? I replied. No, you don't. Just keep an eye out behind us. Those things come and go through this entrance, she said. With that, she lowered herself to the pathway between the rock formation of the cave. I too lowered myself down, taking in the eerie red passageway before me. Without any other choice, I stepped forward into the unknown terror that awaited me.